Hello, welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's good to have you tuned in again for the program. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, as good as this life gets, it is nothing compared to what God has in store for you if you will remain faithful to Him. As humans, we were created with certain needs for love, a need for intimacy, and a need for pleasure. Some people are hell-bent on pursuing the fulfilment of these needs, however, with whomever and at whatever cost. But there is a better way. Tonight, Dr. Corbett concludes his series, 10 Proven Keys to a Balanced Life. Tonight, the final in the series, Not Even Fig Leaves, will cover these. In Jesus' name, amen. A balanced person is a rare person, but you may have met one. Have you ever met someone who would correct themselves within a conversation they're having? I always find that interesting. When, when you're talking with someone, they go, oh, hang on a minute. No, it wasn't da-da, it was da-da-da-da-da. That's an indication that that person is probably an honest person because they, they guard even the little details of their lives. Have you ever met someone who does that? Have you ever met someone who was generous and thankful for all they had? They never complained about giving and they never complained about what they didn't have. Have you ever met someone who was kind towards strangers? where that kindness had no possibility of ever being paid back. There was no way. Have you ever met someone who would return things to their owner or perhaps use or borrow things from someone and then give it back better than they found it? Have you ever met someone who was deeply spiritual and refused to compromise being in worship on a Sunday, irregardless of the sacrifice it meant making? You know, as I think of that, I think of some of the Bible characters. Uh, right now, I, I think of Daniel, Dan, Daniel in, in the Old Testament. Each of these, you could go tick with Daniel. Daniel was like this. You remember the king passed a law saying, you shall worship no other gods except the statue of me. So what does Daniel do? <laughs> he goes home to his upstairs apartment, opens up the window to the street, <laughs> where all the people down on the street can see, and he kneels down toward Jerusalem to pray to the God that he's always known from childhood in complete defiance of the king. That came at a huge price because if you know anything about the story of Daniel in the lion's den, that's why he ended up there because he paid a price. He sacrificed in order to, to maintain his spirituality and to worship God. Have you ever met someone who fought for the rights of others to have justice? They, they, were, they were very concerned that that those who are vulnerable, those who are less fortunate, weren't taken advantage of. Imagine if you had someone who you could tick all of these things with. They'd be an exceptional person. I'd actually argue they would be a person who had their life in balance. They understood what it was to have a balanced life. Have you met someone who was fiercely loyal, under intense pressure not to be? Have you ever met someone like that? It's a, it's a timely reminder for husbands and wives to remember the vows that they exchanged on their wedding day when, when a question like this is asked. Uh, many of you who are married will, will have vowed that you would remain loyal and faithful to the one you married for better or for, help me out, worse. What does worse look like? Dinner's cold when you get home? If, if that's your worse, you, you lack imagination. Fiercely loyal. That's a balanced person. Have you ever met someone who is peaceful, even in times of intense stress. 
And as I've mentioned throughout this series, the balanced person is someone who's got something happening in here that's not dependent on what's happening out there. And all too often, we are looking at our circumstances, what's happening around us as, as our source of peace. But the balanced person is someone who has that inside them and it comes out. They're not looking for it outside to come in. Have you ever met someone, and now we sort of come into what, what I want to address today. Have you ever met someone who had a clear sense of the sacred? They seemed to have a very clear sense of what was sacred. And they didn't trivialise it. They weren't flippant with it. They had a clear sense of what was sacred. If you've met someone who has some of these qualities, then chances are you've met someone who, whose life was well balanced. And this is, this is the point I want to make. And I'll use my props again and to make this point. I imagine this is the potter's wheel. Imagine this is a person's life. They now have life. What if I put it out here? That's a life out of balance. But what if I put it in the middle? And that's the picture in Jeremiah 18 where God says to his people, I am the potter, you are the clay. Let my hands come on you. And this is, this is what I'm saying. A balanced person is someone who's in the middle of the wheel where God wants to shape their life. And by, by being in the middle of the wheel with the potter's hands shaping them, they're in the safest place. They're in the place where they are least likely to be thrown out of whack. And that's the picture. This is the balanced life. But you can imagine what would happen if people are out here and, and when, when, when this lump of clay is in the middle looking up at the potter, he's got, this, this clay has just got one vision and that, that's of God and what he's doing in their life. So no matter what else is happening out here, and out here there's a lot more G-forces out here than there is in here. And if you're not in the middle of God's wheel, life at times can seem hectic. It can seem like you're being thrown all around the place. But when you come into the middle of the wheel and allow God to have his way in your life, things start to get into balance. And a lot of those things will be counterintuitive to you. Like a lot of us have needs and the potter's going to go, give away what you've got. And then we think, well, our needs will be greater. <laughs> and as we heard Jeff share, sometimes you just got to keep your vision on the one who you claim to trust by being in the middle of the wheel. This is episode 10. This is not even fig leaves could cover these. It's taken from what happened in Genesis chapter 3. What I want to talk about is some of the issues that we see in the earliest chapters of Genesis. And this is where I want us to understand some of the foundation of having a balanced life. And, and, and this is what I think we need to understand. I, I, I grew up in a home where, you know, I might say I need, you know, insert whatever I claimed I needed. And my mum would tell me, you don't need that. There are people starving in India. They would be grateful for what you have. And she's probably right. No, in fact, she was right. And over the years, that, that tended to colour my uh, understanding of the word need. And so you, you then become a parent yourself and your kids, you know, say, I need a new iPhone, iPad, iPod, iRon, whatever. And you, you then use this same definition of need. But as I've got a bit older and a few years under the belt, you realise we human beings are quite complex creatures. We actually do have certain needs. And, and I don't just mean food, shelter and water. I, I think we actually have needs that are internal as well. And, and here's, here's some of them. We, we need 
to be loved. Every one of us in this room needs to be loved. And not only that, we crave what we need. We actually crave to be loved. If I had the time, I would suggest to you that, you know, Gary, Dr. Gary Chapman has said there's five love languages. I actually think you, if it's a word, touch, and a look that comes with time spent with someone, is the essence of pure love. A look, a touch, a word. And that with that look, it's time in that person's presence, actually seeing them. Love. We, we all need intimacy. And I'm going to make the point that intimacy is not necessarily physical, although I'm going to suggest that that is a need. But intimacy, I'm going to define in a moment, so we'll come to that. And we are created with a need to enjoy pleasure. Now, I say all this because I don't want any of us to think that God is against love, intimacy or pleasure. Because he's the one who's created us to need these things. He's created us with a desire and a craving to have those needs satisfied within us. So why on earth would anyone think that God is against pleasure, against intimacy and against love? This is a distortion of God and his plan for us. And this is what we are going to see in this a passage in Genesis in a moment, but I want to just jump straight to the New Testament and have Jesus coming out of the mouths of Jesus. This is my premise, that God has gifted you, he's given you gifts, so that he's gifted you with the means to have these needs met. So every one of you needs to be loved, you need intimacy, and at the moment I'll just define intimacy as a sense of closeness. A sense of closeness. And he has designed you to enjoy pleasure. And with pleasure comes things like happiness. I'm actually going to argue that you're created to experience those three things. God is designed and therefore because he is designed, we intuitively crave love, intimacy and pleasure. You've given the choice between eating a nice lunch or a not so nice lunch. We're going to default to the nice lunch because that's more pleasurable given the option of doing it with people you really enjoy, who encourage you, you'll probably take that option as well. And we could go through the list. I don't need to spend too much time because we all know we have these needs. Here's what Jesus said about our needs. Do not be like them. These are people who refuse to obey God. Do not be like them. For your Father, capital F, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says, my Father, your Father knows what you need. In, in verse 32, this is verse 8, down in chapter, Matthew chapter 6, he says this, For the Gentiles, the catch-all word for those who do not obey God, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So God the Father knows what your needs are. He created you with certain needs. He's created the means by which you can satisfy those needs. Now God... This, this is going to shock people, I, I, maybe, and I, I suspect, that as I was putting this together, if, if people are going to question, query, and object to anything I'm about to say, they, they might object to this one. But here's my premise. God has designed that not all of your needs will be met in this lifetime. It is not going to be possible for you to experience the ultimate satisfaction of your needs being fulfilled in this life. You might think, oh, 
great. Can we get another preacher? This is, this is not what I want to hear. I want to find out how I can suck the marrow out of life. Well, you might be able to suck the marrow out of life, but there's still much more marrow to be sucked, so to speak. And here's where I get this idea from. Apart from the fact I think Jesus is the perfectly balanced man, Jesus was the model man, Jesus came and lived a life, and did he enjoy the fullness of everything that the Father has to offer in his 33 and a half years as a, as a man incarnate on this planet? No. In fact, we get to John 17 and he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to the Father, Oh, Daddy, oh, Daddy, I want to come home. I want what I had and I'm looking forward to getting it again. And he was referring to his glory. And his glory just isn't a halo. His glory is, is a radiance and full satisfaction and fulfillment. It's everything. It just radiates contentment. It radiates peace power, joy, and Jesus says, Father, Daddy, I long to have that again. So our model man, Christ, he didn't find the ultimate fulfilment in life. Now I say this because some of you are going to go through life disappointed in God. Some of you. I've met people who are quietly angry with God because he hasn't met all of their needs. You ever met anyone like that? And I wish people understood this. The Apostle Paul put it this way, that this life is, is nothing compared to what's ahead. This is how he said it, quoting Isaiah. But it, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, as good as this life gets... It is nothing compared to what God has in store for you if you will remain faithful to him. Nothing. Your ultimate fulfillment, your ultimate satisfaction is never going to be in this life. It's going to be in the life to come. Now, that's not to say there won't be any satisfaction. There won't be any fulfillment. There won't be any joy or any happiness in this life. Not at all. But ultimately, it will be fulfilled in life to come. The psalmist, David, said it this way. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? Fullness of joy. So however much joy you've experienced in this life, and by the way, some people, some people don't get to experience much joy at all in this life. And what a great hope this is, that if you will put your faith and trust in the potter and allow him to have his hands on your life and to put you in the middle of his wheel, one day you will experience the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. And at your right hand are what forevermore? Pleasures. What forevermore? Pleasures. pleasures in heaven. Ultimate pleasure. What's the most pleasurable experience you can taste in this life? Whatever it is, it's nothing compared to what awaits you in heaven. A balanced life understands this and if we can think of heaven as the ultimate place the ultimate place where it's sacred which means set apart for God and this life is not quite that then what we're doing is this a balanced life balances being sacred in a secular world so you understand that we live in a world where people are going to do things that are selfish that hurt people 
They're, they're going to do things that are in their interest, not in yours. They're going to betray you. They're going to let you down. They're going to say things about you. They're going to be physically violent, perhaps, towards you. They're going to financially try to rip you off. And none of that is right. None of it. That's a secular world. And we're called to live a sacred life, a life that honours God, a life that is in the middle of his will for our life, with his hands shaping our life, And at times we may not understand what the potter is doing to us. But if we will just remain balanced and in the middle, we will end up as a beautiful earthenware vessel. So a balanced life balances being sacred in a secular world. Now having said that, here's where I hesitate. And I'll tell you why I hesitate. Because what I'm going to talk about is what it means to be sacred in a secular world. And the reason I hesitate is because I'm hoping that we are going to rescue people out of this secular world who have tasted what this secular world has to offer. And what does that end up doing? It ends up hurting them. What does this secular world end up doing to people? It abuses them. It rips them off. It breaks their trust. It leaves them with consequences because of that. And that's why I hesitate because as I describe the sacred, some of you are going to go, oh, great. How on earth can I attain that when I've been abused or when when I've been hurt, when I've had my trust broken and now I've got the consequences of it? And it could be, as I've met some people who came out of a, a drug culture where they now have a kind of hepatitis that can't be cured, where some people have come out of a lifestyle where they have contagious diseases that, to date, there's no cure for. Some people that, as I heard someone put it, they chose the wrong parents to be born to. And as a result of that, they've been sexually molested physically abused, and now they are psychologically traumatised. So you can see why I hesitate. Because what I'm going to describe living sacred in this secular world is going to sound so far away from where that person's come from that it's going to sound like I'm actually a bony-fingered old prophet sort of pointing the finger at people going, you don't measure up. And please, that is not my heart. My heart as I hope you'll see at the end, is to say, God uses people like me who have failed. And he uses people like you who have failed to reach people who are experiencing the pain of failure right now. Do you hear my heart? So in saying this, I'm going to touch a nerve. And I know I'm going to touch a nerve. And I have a back door off this stage for a good reason, and it's days like this. Here's the nerve. I want want to explain to you why sexual activity is especially sacred. Why is the devil so in love with sexual sin? Good grief. It's a bigger, illicit 
industry than the illicit drug industry, literally. The pornography industry turns over trillions of dollars globally every year. The drug industry, and I'm talking illicit drugs, doesn't even come close. And most, and I'm going to tell you that pornography is sexual immorality. And not only that, it is slavery. And it breaks the heart of God. And I hope to show you why. Genesis 2.23, we read this. Then the man said, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So this is Adam seeing Eve for the first time. So you can imagine there's, there's God and Adam and it says in Genesis 2, which is the detail of Genesis 1, and, and, and here, here is God walking in the cool of the day with Adam and he intru he's introducing animals and, and, and Adam would have had the opportunity to name at least 6,000 different species of animals. Spend time with them. Examine them. Go for long walks with them. And at the end of it, it says this, none of them were found to be a suitable companion for him. And so God put Adam to sleep and took out from him it says a rib. Oh, I'm not exactly sure what that means. I've, I've got a hunch that that's God taking something of his image out of Adam, the rib close to Adam's heart. It's a beautiful picture. And whatever that essence was that he took out of Adam, from that, he created Eve. However Eve looked, she was perfect for Adam. Not only, she would have been the perfect woman, the perfect woman. Little wonder many Hebrew scholars believe that the Hebrew here, in Hebrew, when Adam says, This is bone of my bone, flesh of, that in Hebrew it actually sounds like this, Habba, Habba. <laughs> that was me lightening up a very heavy message. <laughs> There's no Hebrew scholar on the planet that thinks that. I just thought I'd say an inappropriate <laughs> joke. But anyway, listen to what else he said. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Keywords, one flesh. One flesh. One body. One. Eckhart, one. Hebrew word, Eckhart, one. One in, in constitution, one in composition, one. Next verse. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. If this was a husband and wife, a marriage retreat, a couple's retreat, I would actually talk about this. But since it's not, I won't. But it does reveal something of intimacy. And in a moment, I'm going to define intimacy well, let's define it now. Let's, let's take these words. Because standing there together naked paints a picture of intimacy. And let's, let's have a look at it. Intimacy involves union. There's that oneness. It's a union together. It's, it's one in the sense of 
They become one in mind. They complete each other's. If you've ever seen the movie Frozen, we complete each other's sandwiches. Thank you. We finish each other's sandwiches, I think it is. We finish each other's sentences. And if you've been married for a while, husbands, you know that when you're having together with your wife a conversation with someone, there's very little you have to say. Moving on, openness. Openness, you can be open, you should be open. That's intimacy. And and with that comes trust. And in fact, if we had, and I do this with couples as I prepare them for marriage, I define intimacy and we spend nine months going through each of the five stages of intimacy and we see that it starts off here with politeness, it then moves to facts and it then moves to sharing of opinions, it then moves to an exchange of how the heart is feeling and then the last one is rated R so I can't talk to you about it right now. But here is the, the, this last one that intimacy involves and it involves knowledge. Knowledge. And you get to know someone. You get to know how they think. You get to know how they would respond. You get to know their past. You get to know what their dreams are. That's intimacy. And we're created to have that kind of relationship with someone. Now, as a single, you're created to have that to a degree in a friendship. As a married person, you are designed to find that in your spouse. So sexual, sexual activity is uniquely designed by God to meet our need for intimacy. The two become one. It goes on that says, Adam knew Eve, and together they became one. Adam was united to Eve, and together they became one. And that picture that I've just given you is the picture that Paul the Apostle gives in 1 Corinthians 6, 1. Maybe you're beginning to see why scripture treats sexual activity not as a recreation, not as if it's just two pieces of meat slapping together, not as if it's an exchange of body fluids, but as something that makes someone one. It's meant to. In fact, we could look at the purpose for sexual union and say it satisfies the needs of the human soul. Pardon me. For those on radio, that was me undoing sticky tape off a roll. Trust me, it really was. Adam, no, sorry, this is probably better depicted as Adam, a blank sheet. Eve, indistinguishable now. One, is the sticky tape white? Well, yeah. Is the paper a little bit shiny? Uh, Yeah. They both possess the qualities of each other now. They're one. What happens if people don't understand that sexual activity is sacred, meant to be the union, the uniting, the bonding of one person with another one person? Can I have a volunteer? Alex, could could you... I'm just a little bit busy up here. Could you unstick that sticky tape from that paper, please? Thank you. Just put Adam down there. That's remarkably good, actually. I didn't think you'd get it that good. But here we have the person who's now had a relationship with this person and now they go to form a relationship with another person. Alex, how hard is it to get that off there now? Harder or easier? A lot easier. 
It's difficult. It's difficult when you give yourself in intimacy and surrender to another person sexually to have the kind of intimacy that you need when you don't understand this is meant to be sacred. And you can imagine that eventually, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, because this poor bloke here, you wonder why divorce hurts so much, so often? Something of the soul rips. It's painful for people. It's really painful. But can I tell you, God has ordained the means by which your needs are to be satisfied. And, and those needs are to be satisfied in union, together, that results in the ultimate intimacy, which means trust, which means openness, which means togetherness, which means sharing, transparency. Here's what it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That means you move from a secular world to a sacred world, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I had the time, and I haven't, but I would show you why, therefore, adultery is one of the worst sins anyone can commit. We cannot expect to thrive and enjoy a balanced life if we pursue the fulfilment of our needs for love, intimacy and pleasure in ways that are not consistent with what God designed. More from Dr Corbett next week. Tonight's program, Not Even Fig Leaves, will cover these, the final in the series of 10 proven keys to a balanced life, as well as other Finding Truth Matters podcasts and resources are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org or by contact us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We invite you to join us again next week for more Finding Truth Matters.